This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 3D Pod. I'm your host, Maxwell Bogue. Now, normally with me is Joris Peels, but unfortunately, he's not available today. But we have Mike Molicho joining us. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. So you're you're also part of 3dprint.com as well as... Um... Smart Tech Analysis. Um, so we recently joined companies. Uh, and uh, so I do some of the report writing for Smart Tech, the market research report writing, and then uh, I also work for 3dprint.com writing regular articles. Awesome. Thanks for jumping in and uh, helping out uh, whilst Joris is away. Just so everyone knows, Joris is perfectly fine. He just got caught in an international transit snafu, uh, and he'll hopefully be returning to the pod uh, relatively soon. Uh, Joining us also today is Mike Corliss from Knuts Godwin and Zach Murphy from Velo3D. And uh, we're going to be talking about how Knuts Godwin has taken the the new Sapphire printer in uh, to start using it internally. And we're excited to hear what, what you can disclose about what you might be doing and, and what you what attracted you to the Sapphire. Yes, thank you for having me and uh, look forward to the discussions. Let's first start off with the Sapphire. I mean, Zach, maybe you could tell us a little bit about this amazing new machine. It's what, it's a meter tall? Yeah, so we're now able to print parts that are uh, a full meter tall. So we have the same 315 millimeter diameter, uh, basically an extension of our first Sapphire system, which is a dual uh, one kilowatt laser uh, powder bed system. And it's just, it's using that same, um, the same metal powder, right? Yep, yeah. So we basically took the machine that we had developed and released in September of 2018 and stretched it in Z because there were quite a few applications we were seeing um, that would benefit from the ability to print very tall parts. And Knuth Godwin was a great customer that uh, has several of these applications that they've been looking at too. So it's a really good alignment there. So what do you uh, intend on doing with them, Mike? Well, you know, in the oil and gas industry, we've been printing products for over eight years and Every time I'm in a meeting or with customers, they're always going, when can we go taller? When can we go taller? So it, it's been one of those things in our, you know, vision that we wanted to do. And in discussions with one of our customers uh, last year, they decided that, hey, let's move forward with this and let's see if we can, you know, actually print some products, uh, you know, taller Z. And so they started doing some design work and, uh, started getting some geometries where we're like, yes, this is doable, we like it. And so in our normal portfolio of products that we have in our traditional subtractive manufacturing capabilities, we saw a lot of parts that we were doing that we could apply this technology to and it would help reduce machine time, queue time, and even help in some areas reduce the the geometry, the weight of the part and the size of the part. So we're excited about it. It's something that uh, we're very comfortable with doing and uh, we look forward to 
this new machine arriving. And having the first Velo machine, we see the benefits and it even gives us more confidence from some of the results that we're seeing that we're, we're moving in the right direction. Are you able to, because it's metal printing versus, you know, doing a CNC, are you able to then almost make a hollow yet stronger interior structure or have you had success with that? We, there's a little bit of that going on, but in, you know, oil and gas is not always about reducing weight. Some of the products, they still like to have weight. Mm. Uh, some of the products in oil and gas, they do want to reduce weight. And we are applying some generative designs and making products, um, Wet, uh, less weight and uh, more cost effective and weight is in some applications oil and gas weight is a lot of things when they hang certain tools from a cable and they have a string of tools on there weight is very important but then if you're drilling you actually want weight so you don't want to reduce weight so much not all the time could you increase the weight? <laughs> <laughs> In some applications, they stack on more heavy pipe. You know? yeah, exactly. so, um, so, but no, um, the whole ideal with this is to really take advantage of doing a lot of the interior geometry of some of these taller parts. And traditionally, you know, we approach these parts in a very linear manner. You drill the holes from the end of the part down the length of the part and then you connect it with all sorts of ports and features from the outside. By the ability to print this geometry now, you can change that internal geometry, take advantage of it, and then you can condense the part. The overall length of the part may not be what it was today. It may be shorter because you can take advantage of some of the geometry of some of the features internally so you can put more features around the part in different orientations. I think that's really interesting because what we're normally used to reading about and talking about in the additive space is aerospace applications in which uh, the flyby ratio needs to be um, improved in order to, you know, lighten the part so that the planes can use less gas and everything. But here you're saying that um, the weight isn't necessarily the most interesting uh, application. You could use uh, 3D printing to add additional features or is it, uh, are you saying you can um, uh, join multiple parts together into a single, or, you know, take an assembly and turn it into a single 3D printed unit? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that we want to look at. We have assemblies that require maybe six components and they stack up and they're just under a meter long. And if we can take and print this geometry all in one, now we, we eliminate the purchasing, the manufacturing of all six components and we just work on the final assembly. So yeah, the, this is going to be the uh, approach. And uh, it's, this sort of goes back to, I guess, Zach's side of the equation. Um, I'm also sort of uh, a little, um, I guess, intrigued by just increasing the height. I mean, it sounds like that might have just been an easier way to expand the build volume of the machine, but why specifically the height of the part is being expanded um, instead of maybe the overall build volume? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we originally designed the system, um, and this was you know going back three years, we designed it to be extendable in Z because we had seen, even at that point, several different applications where having a taller system, even if it didn't get wider, even if the diameter didn't change, would be beneficial. And so, you know, if you look at oil and gas, there are some, some clear applications where you have these tubular products that are kind of a 
different aspect ratio than what you might be used to in aerospace. Um, but even in aerospace, we're seeing a lot of, uh, <laughs> I guess you could call them tubular shaped components uh, that people are very interested <laughs> in, in printing because you can do some really amazing things kind of like you said, around light weighting, around stiffening, um, part reduction, and then even rocket engines, which is really a place where Velo has had a lot of success. If you look at some of the smaller engines, you can essentially print the entire thing in one shot uh, if you can extend the Z-axis by a decent amount. So there are a lot of reasons why it makes sense to, as kind of a next step in the Sapphire product line, have a taller version of just our standard product offering. Now, does this have a different name than the original Sapphire if, uh, since it's sort of the same printer but taller? Uh, I noticed on the website it, there's just the Sapphire page for the product page. Does that have a different name? Yeah, so we're calling it the Sapphire 1MZ to make it very clear that it is a one meter tall system in the Z axis. I'd like to elaborate on that a little bit too because, you know, you talk about YZ, why not X and Y? And a lot of the products I see a lot of times, you know, is we want to maximize the smallest build chamber possible for getting the efficiency out of the uh, print time. You know, you can go bigger in X and Y, but if you don't have the volume to fill that, then you're, you're just filling a bunch of powder in there and uh, it takes longer to process that. So, you know, if we can stay as small as possible, but still be efficient, then going tall and not so much in the bigger in diameter or, or X and Y, I think we gain efficiencies there. I was just saying, is, is Knuth Godswin excited about some of the new possibilities they can offer to additional clients? Or are you guys, I know you said you had some clients that were already interested in taking advantage of this, but do you see this as kind of a new revenue stream uh, since you have this ability now to make yes. these? Yes. Yeah. So, so some of our customers, we're printing some products for them out of the traditional oil and gas industry. And this will give us the ability to sort of elaborate on what Zach was talking about is that we can now print, uh, they take several components and then they, the final process is maybe welding those components together. Mm. But now with this taller Z, we'll be able to print the whole assembly in one shot and eliminating a weld. So the integrity of the part, uh, it gets better and the, uh, you know, the uh, risk goes down. You know, recently this past month and a half with the coronavirus outbreak, um, our oil markets have sort of collapsed. And, you know, yesterday I was reading that the price of oil is negative in some cases. And I don't necessarily fully understand the entire oil market. But how, what does that have any impact on your business model um, serving your oil and gas clients? Or how do you see these two uh, trends sort of? Actually, the last six weeks has been, the activity has been higher with the additive side of our business. Our traditional business from the subtractive side, yes, it's definitely taken a hit. Uh, there is some pullback in uh, looking at what the market's doing. Uh, yesterday was a tough day in the oil and gas industry. I think a lot of people were selling off the futures that uh, were coming due, and so they got out of them and there were no buyers. But uh, uh, we're we're not losing focus on additive. Additive is still has the same focus, and we're still moving forward with our growth opportunities because this is differentiator, 
and this will definitely be something that is going to be more looked at even during times like this because it's going to be uh, speed to market. I mean, I've gotten several new engineering opportunities for new products that are coming out of people working from home right now at these co corporations, and, and now they're starting to launch, you know, want to get these products launched. So actually with additive, it's actually picked up over the last six weeks. Yeah, that was sort of a trend that I know Max and Yoris uh, spoke about um, it, with regards to medical 3D printing in this outbreak is somehow uh, the appeal of, um, you know, additive being able to respond quickly and fill in these supply chain gaps has really boosted it. And so it's interesting to see that that goes beyond the medical space where we're seeing so many um, supply shortages and into oil and gas and I'm sure maybe other sectors as well where it seems like they need to reduce costs um, by you know consolidating parts or whatever they're doing um, or fill in supply chain gaps and so it's interesting to see that that's going beyond um, medical and it's going into oil and gas i don't know if zach is seeing more activity in other uh industries as well or or if you are too mike i was just going to say I, I think that we see kind of a similar trend across a number of industries and i you know it's it's unfortunate that that kind of the situation that we're in and it's leading to people to in a lot of cases reduce capital expenditures and kind of um, pull in a little bit and, and and be really conscious of their cash flow but at the same time one of the things that affords you is you now have a workforce who can be uh, you know more focused on kind of design and analysis and and some of the things that don't necessarily require uh, hardware production immediately and so I think that you we're, we're seeing a lot of um, kind of iteration on designs and refinement and looking at the next generation products. Um, so I, I, I do agree that it's kind of an exciting uh, opportunity, even in, in spite of the circumstances. Yeah, I think the supply chain gap is something that may be a, a fallout of this uh, going forward. We're already seeing some of that in, you know, that's close to us in our industry that we're seeing some people are just not willing to, you know, stay open or survive through this. And so we know there's going to be some supply chain shortages. And I think we're going to see the AM side of this pick up some of that slack. Sorry if I derailed the conversation, Max. I'm no, no, that's, uh, no, it's interesting. It's definitely, it's having an impact, right? So we're seeing how uh, 3D printing can come in and, and help to, to fill in some of those gaps, especially for short-term purposes, just like on the medical side. On some level, you got to keep these things going and this is a way of creating parts. Well, it's also highlighting a little bit of the fragility that may exist in supply chains, especially, you know, when you spread things internationally um, and you're kind of more focused on low cost than anything else. I think there are a lot of people who are now leveraging more uh, local and domestic suppliers who are able to respond quickly. And additive is a really great technology for that because you can spin up production uh, even for something like casting replacements. Uh, you can do it relatively quickly and, and be able to satisfy some of that demand that otherwise, um, based on the current supply chain, would be would be kind of stuck. I wonder, I mean, sorry, this just to take it back a second, are you able to talk about at all what parts you're actually printing for the oil and gas industry or maybe not specifically what clients, but in general, the types of parts uh, that you're able to print right now? Sorry for... Uh, redirecting 
Well, most of the products, uh, we're in the high end, uh, what we call the MWD, LWD product line. So that's measurement while drilling and logging while drilling, along with wireline products. And this is on the drilling side of the uh, business. It's not on the completion side of it and uh, or the safety control valve side of it. So this is more on the drilling side of the business. And uh, these are exotic materials, typically inconels, titaniums, and things like that. So uh, they're not the easiest of uh, materials to work with. And at the end of the day, a lot of these products have several thousands of dimensions that have to be inspected and measured and checked. So they're very complex parts. They're not just simple parts. Any hope of one day just printing the whole entire drill rig uh, right over the spot? <laughs> <laughs> I would not say uh, never out of the question. It might happen someday. <laughs> I know that in the press release related to this uh, story, you mentioned the ability to print with nickel alloys. Are these uh, the metals that are primarily being used in the oil and gas industry and is that uh, what properties does that metal bring um, to these applications? Yes, uh, the nickel uh, alloys are typical properties that we see in the oil and gas industry for high corrosion resistance and strength, uh, non-magnetic. Uh, so a lot of electronics go into products that we build and so you cannot have any magnetic permeability at all. So you have to use a high strength, non-magnetic material that has cor high corrosion resistance. Zach, is there, do you see these nickel alloys being applied to other um, industries as well, or is it highlighted mostly in the oil and gas? No, I think there's a lot of uh, very good overlap with the other industries that are really kind of the early adopters for additive. So as, as a company, Velo really got its start in more uh, propulsion-focused applications, whether that was rocket engines and turbo pumps or like gas turbine types of applications. And in those, you're really looking for the corrosion resistance and high temperature uh, mechanical properties. And so these Inconels and other nickel super alloys lend themselves really well to that. And I think one of the things that we're seeing is that oil and gas is a really good application space for these materials, and not just in the downhole tools, but also in um, flow components. So if you're looking at like compression technologies, if you're doing like uh, industrial gas compression or um, valving for like wellhead applications. These are all places where you want to use uh, high strength corrosion resistant alloys and Inconel is is a really good um, choice in that regard. Zach, in the, on the Sapphire, are you able to actually add to existing parts or can you like fix, for example, tooling or if you had a part that you wanted to add a, a hand, you know, a, some added valve or handle or something like that, can you print onto something as well or? So, I mean, I think that the answer is yes, <laughs> if you're printing onto a planar surface. And really right. the best, the best um, uh, kind of example of that is every build that we do, we're actually doing that, right? So if you think about the build plate that you're building on, it's a, it's, in our case, it's a stainless steel. Um, and then you're building an Inconel part on top of this. So you are, in theory, building your part on top of an existing part every time, unless you use the Velo3D's free-floating printing capabilities. But yeah, it's, it's a possibility. It's just, it's useful in very specific applications. It's not, what I see, it's not a very widely used uh, functionality. 
We've done this process uh, because of cost. I mean, we're really, a lot of times we're very cost conscious. And so some of the products that we build, there is a simple part to the product and maybe it makes more sense just to machine a straight cylinder for so many inches and stick it in the chamber and then print the uh, unique geometry on top of that. So we have done that uh, in the past. So it's, it's very doable. It's very uh, specific. Uh, and it's not all the time, but in some applications where, and believe it or not, some people don't want welded parts. So we, we they don't <laughs> want to take a printed part and weld it to a machined, a wrought material part. They would rather us just print it from the beginning all the way to the end. Um, you know, don't ask why, but uh, so that is what we've done sometimes is just taken that and just printed right onto an existing wrought material. And Mike, and for as you're an end user, are there any materials that you hope to start seeing coming out for these printers in the future? Or what would you prefer to have in addition to what they already have? Well, I think the material of choice uh, today is there. There's some derivatives of all the materials I think that we're going to see in the future uh, evolve. You know, there's going to be, you know, different varieties of the same basic materials that we have today, but the nickels, the titaniums, the aluminums, the stainless, I think those are going to be your, you know, your high runners. And then there could be derivatives of every one of those, a different blend for different industry. And, uh, you know, until the volumes there, I think we work with the common ones. And then as it grows and we see the ability of additive and the ability of different material characteristics, then we will definitely venture into a derivative of that existing base material. Uh, Mike, I read uh, that uh, you're, you guys have seven, is it a total of seven metal AM systems? Are they all uh, uh, laser powder bed fusion machines? Yes. Um, because uh, what you guys were just talking about with uh, the ability to repair parts uh, made me wonder if there's any application for directed energy deposition uh, in so, for some of your oil and gas clients, or even, I guess, just to repair tooling for some of the general industry clients you guys probably have? Oh, definitely. It's been on our radar. We've looked at it. The only problem that, I mean, I, one of the issues I have with it, it's a very good process and it's a very well-established process, but we're a precision manufacturer. And so we are looking to print and, and not machine, you know, we're wanting to eliminate as much post-processing as possible. So, having a DED powder or DED wire, we don't get the uh, precision results that we're, we're accustomed to. So then we look at it and go, well, if I got to do that and machine it, I might as well machine it. So, mm -hmm. uh, but for some repairs, it makes sense. And uh, some application, it makes total sense. But yes, I mean, if we, we understand it. Uh, it's just something that we haven't had the ability to really build a real, real strong business case. Cause I have electron beam, uh, wire fed capability uh, here, but we don't use it because it's not that uh, popular. Um, what about, uh, have you looked into the hybrid manufacturing systems at all? Because I, from yeah. what I understand, they don't necessarily deliver on what they claim to be able to do uh, in terms of, you know, uh, doing both DED and uh, CNC uh, in the same build process. Like you have to do heat treatment in between um... absolutely yeah that's the key I mean we're we're dealing with all materials that are have some kind of post-processing uh, hipping 
heat treating. So DED and then subtractive all in the same machine. I can't, I can't build a case around it because all the products that we do have to have some kind of uh, post-processing, hipping and heat treating to get the mechanical properties to the uh, properties we're looking for. So doing that is very difficult in that application. So I would rather take the laser powder bed technology, print the product to the near net shape, reduce as much post-processing as possible, and then uh, do this hipping and heat treating and, and we're much further along. And I guess that's where Zach's, uh, well, Velo 3D's, uh, I almost pronounced it with a Spanish uh, accent, Velo 3D's uh, technology comes in is that it minimizes the amount of post-processing. So it might not be able to eliminate the hipping or anything, but it can at least eliminate a lot of the machining that's required for most uh, powder bed fusion systems. Yes, the, the engineering discipline that they have put around the process is tremendous. I mean, we've, we're seeing the results uh, already with our first machine and applying that same technology going to a meter tall, we have all the confidence that this is the right choice for going taller in Z because we're, <laughs> you're talking about a long time in a machine printing a meter tall and you don't want to get to, you know, uh, 30 inches into the build and go, oops, you know, <laughs> so we're, uh, all of these processes and disciplines around the engineering uh, side of this is key to us to going a meter tall. I think all of us have some <laughs> floating around <laughs> potentially somewhere. <laughs> oh. Well, and to, to go into a little bit more detail, I think one of the other things that's that, um, you know, the elimination of, some of the post-process machining or the finished machining by being able to print, uh, you know, a wider variety of geometries is useful in a lot of different applications. And, and I'm sure Mike can speak to this in, in much more detail than I can, but I think one of the things that we've seen is that uh, one of the commonalities between aerospace and downhole components in a lot of cases, and not even downhole, I should say oil and gas in general, is that they, um, they often require complex internal fluid passages Yes. And so whether that's a shrouded impeller or a diffuser section or, you know, a hydraulic wireline tool, that's one of the real keys that additive uh, helps with, right? That's, a lot of things can be accomplished through machining, but if you can print some of those features directly into the part, it can give you a huge benefit and, and really open up application space um, and, and make the products better at the end of the day. Yes, yeah, support free in those fluid passage areas is just tremendous with the surface finish too. I mean, you know, the surface finish that you get out of the Velo uh, system, the Sapphire system uh, is, is tremendously great and smooth. And so that helps the fluid flow better uh, for all industries. So, and that's measured. I mean, they can actually tell the roughness and the surface finish and they can see the restrictions of that flow and know that they're getting uh, you know, if it's a little rougher, they're getting 10, 15% uh, less flow through there. So that's key in having those different geometries and shapes in there without supports, because that was always the case before is how do we clean them out? How do we get those supports out of there and things like that? So this is really a big benefit in all the industries, like Zach mentioned. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on the 3D pod. That's about all the time we have for today. I just want to do a big thanks to Mike Molichow for jumping in to help co-host. So thank you, Mike. Thank you. And uh, hopefully you can join us again at some other point, um, even if Joris is around. 
Sounds good. And a uh, special thanks to Mike Corliss and Zach Murphy as well for being our guests today and giving us their insight. It's greatly appreciated. And we look forward to our next episode. I'm Maxwell Vogue signing off from the 3D Pod. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.